0: I don't know if you ever read <coughs> these insurance stories and insurance claims, but I was reading one the other day, and it said there was a guy who was driving down the highway, and as he was driving down the highway, he all of a sudden collided with a truck that was hauling a horse trailer, and they had a wreck. Well, and through the wreck, the first responders came and got everything situated. Then the ambulance and the police and everybody arrived. and And uh, as they were looking at the wreck and the situation, somebody called the police officer and he said, hey, officer, Mr. Officer, you need to come over there. There's a horse that has a broken leg. And so the officer walked over there and he looked at the horse with the broken leg and uh, all of a sudden he pulls out his pistol and he shoots the horse. And so then they're like, hey, hey, Mr. Officer, there's a guy over here is, who's in agonizing pain, who's got thrown out of his car, and he was sitting over there, and the, the police officer walked over to him, sir, are you okay? And, and the guy who was in pain, he says, yes, officer, emphatically, he said, I am okay, definitely okay. And, um, and so later on, the insurance guy said, well, you know, it's been about eight months since the car wreck. Why are you filing a claim right now? And he said, well, you know, he said I was laying there in agonizing pain, and he said somebody called the officer over to the horse, and he had a broken leg, and he, so he shot the horse, so when the officer came over to me, I said, yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> and you know, you could begin to think about that, that a lot of times, that's the way our life is. We say we're okay when really we're not. You know, when in my freshman year of high school, I lived in a town called Tonopah, Nevada. It was centrally located in the middle of nowhere between Las Vegas and, and Reno. And, and one of the things that, that we went and visited a couple of times was Death Valley. And they're going to put some pictures up of Death Valley. And Death Valley is on the edge of California. And one of the places that they have in Death Valley is a place called the Devil's Golf Course, which is a bunch of salt formations that if you fall, it would be like falling on coral. And Death Valley is the lowest point. It's interesting. Death Valley is the lowest point in the United States of America. It sits 282 feet below sea level. It stretches about 140 miles long. And the summer average temperature is over 120 degrees. And it's really, it's an amazing thing because when you travel through Death Valley and you sort of go, there's not really any stopping places. There is a a place called Scotty's Castle that, that you can stop back. But otherwise, it's a very daunting, overwhelming experience with no stops along the way. And when I read Psalm 23 as I was reading it, it always reminds me, when I think about Death Valley, being there several times, the devil's golf course, the intense isolation, desolation, it always reminds me of Psalm 23 when it says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And even though I wasn't driving, my parents were driving and they would, they would always prepare ahead of time and with drinks or snacks or fuel, the gasping up the car. And it reminds me that When God says, I'm with you. And then the psalmist David says, because God's with me, I won't be afraid. And so I was never afraid going to Death Valley. But I began to think about, have you ever experienced your own Death Valley? A place where your heart and your soul are dry and barren. A season that seems to go on forever and ever and ever and ever without any relief. A low point in your life where you feel absolute hopelessness. That you're so desperate that you don't even know how to pray anymore. And you don't know what to do to get out of this cyclical pattern in your life. And all you've been doing is arriving at dead ends. Well the great news is yet you're in a house of miracles. And communion reminds us that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because, Father, you're always with me. And you'll lead me to green pastures where I can rest. And you'll lead me to still waters where I can refresh my heart and my soul and and as a believer, that I think if we grab the message today about a house of miracles it can spark hope in a hopeless situation in, in your, your life, and as we begin to read this story about a woman who reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, that, that you can reach out and touch Jesus today. Tonight, we have primrose, which is uh, girls who really can't manage their life or manage their families and end up in the bondage of addiction, but now are being set free. And, and at six o'clock tonight, I encourage you to come, even if you don't battle addictions, but, but come and just support them, love them, pray for them, encourage them. And if you battle the inability to manage your life, realize just like God is restoring to them to the original purpose that he created them and helping them live in a life of freedom, he wants to do the same for you. Everybody say, so be it. So Mark chapter five, verse one. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and a great, and over the years had spent everything she had to pay them. But in fact, she had gotten no better, she had gotten worse. In fact, she had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed." And immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized that once the healing power had gone out of him, so he turned to the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask, who touched me? But he kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him. And without a word, and she told him what she had done. And he said to her daughter, your faith, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Let us pray. Father God, for the next 20 minutes, Lord, what an incredible day. Business dedications, communion, water baptism—so many things. That Father, that in our darkest times, God who understands. And Father, let us see the solution for this lady two thousand years ago is the same solution for us today. It's Jesus. And Father, let each person know that they have a God in heaven that loves them, that they can reach out to when they're in the valley of desperation. In Jesus' name. And everybody said. You think about this woman for 12 years. She was suffering. She had gone from illness to illness to illness. She had been going from doctor to doctor. And the Bible says she only grew worse physically. She became poor financially. And you begin to think about this woman. And I I think about this woman for 12 years. Who had been dealing with this disease. and, and, And how how all of a sudden she approached the crowd where Jesus was. She had been labeled incurable. She was destitute. She was alone. Her pain was was far deeper than we can imagine. And as a result of her sickness, it was equivalent of a nonstop menstrual cycle in her life. And when you study Jewish history, that everyone and everything that she touched came in contact with, was then at that point considered unclean. And I begin to think about how she was ostracized by her community, her family, and even the church. I get to think about it that that she wasn't even allowed to go to church because of her disease. And I begin to think about, can you imagine not touching a human being for 12 years? This woman's physical problems had created social and emotional and financial crises in her life. And we pick up the story where she's so desperate that she did something so dangerous and so extreme that if she would have been caught, she would have been put to death. But she was at that valley of desperation in her life. There was something that she wanted in her life, and what she wanted was a personal touch. And this woman had heard about a man named Jesus, and, and 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 the crowd was all around him and was buzzing how he had just healed a demon possessed man. He had healed the synagogue's official Jairus' son, and, and or I mean her, his daughter from death, and explains why everybody was following the miracle working Jesus and wanted to be around him, and they were pressing in close to him. And in Jewish culture. This was the one place where this woman was not to be. And yet she was desperate, and desperate times call for desperate measures. And she waited in the crowd despite her condition, despite what the law said, despite what the CDC or whoever else said, whatever it was of the day. She didn't worry about the danger of being discovered, but all she knew that she had to do was was believe that believed that if she reached out and just touched the hem of his garment she would be made whole she would be healed she would be made well and she was scraping every little last bit of hope that she had in her life every last little bit of courage and she pushed past her shame and she pushed past the hate of the people and and all her fears of what might happen and she stepped into that crowd I believe she probably pulled her cloak over her head and she tucked her chin down to her chest so nobody would recognize her and she pushed her way through the crowd can you imagine probably being touched for the first time in 12 years how overwhelming that was to be touched by people and probably not a nice touch but an abusive push out of the way and as we read the story, she got to the front of the crowd. She got right behind Jesus. And really, in an act of scandalous faith, she reached out. And you got to realize it says that, that, that she touched the hem of his garment. So she probably wasn't standing up, but she was down low because that's the way she felt inside. She, she felt that she was the lowest of the low. But it said that she reached out and just touched the hem. Of his garment, so she must have been bent over her worth, her value that she didn't feel valued of standing up. And she reached out and she touched the hem of his garment. And when she touched the hem of his garment, instantly she was healed. But the Bible story doesn't end there with her experience and the healing power of Jesus. You think about it, think about it for the first time in 12 years. She was absolutely pain-free. Absolutely pain-free. And yet she didn't fade into the crowd without being discovered. And her heart must have stopped because she was violating Jewish law. Her heart must have stopped when, when Jesus said, who touched me? Who touched me? And the disciples must have been, man, it was like, Jesus, you got to be joking. Look at all these people. Everybody is touching you. How can you ask who an individual touched me? And I got to thinking when I read that, I'm thinking how many of those people in the crowd missed the miracle? How many of us this morning, how many of us this morning missed the miracles that are going all around us all the time? Because we're self-absorbed, we're not noticing, we're distracted. think about it. An incredible miracle took place in the midst of hundreds, if not thousands, of people, and they missed it. And yet at that moment, the only two people that knew that a miracle had happened was Jesus and a woman. What an incredible God without any fanfare, without a word being spoken, Jesus knew that one of his children, who is in a hopeless, desperate, Death Valley situation, reached out and touched him. And he knew it. And he knew it when nobody else knew it. No words, no fanfare, no altar call, just somebody reaching out and touching Jesus. And it's interesting because even though her bleeding had stopped, Jewish law says she was still unclean until she had gone, undergone the, the post-menstrual washing ritual that we read about in Deuteronomy in the one-year Bible a couple of weeks ago. And I love this about Jesus because after she was healed, he didn't say, hey, go have the folks declare that you're clean, make sure you don't do this, all that stuff. But what I love about it immediately, he called for her to stay. Who touched me? Come. And we see that she fell. and, And I believe That that Jesus, what he's saying is no matter what our lives are like, no matter where we've been in our life, what we've done in our life, how often we've done in our life, Jesus is saying, just like he said to this woman, there's never a time that you can't approach me. There's never a time in your life where you're too unclean to come into my presence and, and touch me. There's never a time that you've done something so bad that you can't. Come to me. Is there an area of your life this morning where you feel unclean? Is there something that you feel even too ashamed to talk about and pray and put into words right now? Do you feel that you're too unworthy for a miracle right now? Because I want you to know Jesus already knows your need. Psalm 139 verse 4. Before a word is on my tongue, You, Lord, know it completely. You know it completely. He already knows the miracle you need. Your part, everybody say my part, part. is to reach out in faith and touch him today. That's what communion should remind you of, that no matter who I am, I can come to Jesus and reach out and touch him in faith. Because see, the woman battled with a lot lot of we battle in the natural. High medical costs, check. Crowd mentality, check. Isolation, check. Fear, suffering, shame, check, check, check. The details of the story might be different. But the answer is the same. Reach out and touch Jesus. Don't settle for anything less than personally touching Jesus. And the same peace and the same freedom that he gave to this woman in our story today, he'll give to you. Everybody say, so be it. it. Over and over and over again. We see that people lived a long time with great personal need, and then they were touched by Jesus, the blind man since birth, the man at the pool of Bethesda, 38 years that we learned about last week. We see the woman at the well, which we'll talk about next week, who had been married five times. Jesus is coming you today, and he often comes to us. Let me tell you, he often comes to us when we're at the point of the end of our rope because, you know, at that point, we at the end of our rope, we don't have anything else to grab onto but Jesus. I know people have prayed for miracles for years and years and years, and nothing happened. And they were going through agony and pain and misery. And I don't want to suggest that God always shows up at the last moment, like the Calvary riding in. Because sometimes his plan is bigger than our plan. But as I look at the life and miracles of Jesus, we see that so many times that he catches us when we're at the end of our ropes and we'll just let go and fall into our arms. He'll grab us and he won't let go of us. He says, hey, just give me your situation. Give me your desperation. And then begin to watch me work. But yet one of the most painful things for us to do is admit that we need a healing. God, I need you to do a work in my life that I can't really do. God, I can't fix my relationships that I've busted and destroyed. Only you can do that. Lord, I can't heal myself of this sickness. I need you to heal me. Lord, I have this need in my life that I can't meet it, and I've tried to meet it, and I've only made it worse. And Lord, I need need your help. See, some of the greatest people that receive healing are those who admit that they need healing. See, it goes back to that opening joke. So many of us, we look at you and we ask, how are you doing? How are you doing? And let's be honest, we lie. We put a smile on our face. Man, everything's fine, everything's wonderful, it's going amazing. When inside, we're in total turmoil and chaos and we're smiling on the outside but we're aching and hurting and we're afraid on the inside. And let me tell you about it, something about each person that you meet today, tomorrow, each and every day of your lives, at your workplace, at your school, at the gym, the sports field, the store, church, neighborhood. I may not know them. I don't know what they're going through, but let me tell you this, they're probably hurting. And I've learned this. That more people hide their hurts than share their hurts. And remember this, that hurt people hurt people. See, when somebody hurts you, this will give you a whole new perspective on how to, how to retaliate. I'm not saying excuses what they do. I'm just saying realize that when they hurt you they probably have a hidden hurt themselves and when you realize that and you look at that way and you begin to think that way it causes you to look and react differently and treat them differently I want to begin to close down next week I want to look at the deeper miracle because the highest point in the United States overlooks the lowest point in the United States And so many times, we look at the surface miracle and we miss the deeper miracle. And if I learned anything with my daughter's illness this summer, it was this right here. The miracle that you need most leads you to what you really need the most, which is a deeper, more intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. And I'll talk, unpack that next week. So as we close, there's four, way that, four ways that God heals. I believe he still heals. First of all, he brings about physical healing. I believe that with all my heart. Does everybody get physically healed? No, but I still believe that God physical heals. Because God will do a miracle in his way in his time to whomever, whenever, however. He wants to accomplish that. The second way is God gives emotional healing. See, a lot of people need emotional healing, and they don't even know that they really need it. And the way that I know that they need it is they cover up their emotional pain by staying busy all the time, by always being around people, always having noise on, always having their screen on, Because somehow they don't want to be left to quietly alone with their own thoughts with those things stirring in their head when they lay their heads down on their pillows at night and suddenly they realize how empty they are on the inside when that pain comes flooding into their lives and it's in that moment that you don't run to every other medicating thing but you got to learn to run to God in that time and get the emotional healing that you desire, it's in our brokenness that God begins to bring about blessings. See it's that bread breaking in communion that represents the supernatural strength that only Christ can give us. God is the source of healing of our relationships. You look at the landscape of all our lives and it's littered with fragments of broken relationships intentionally, unintentionally in our life. A shattered relationship is a collateral damage of a broken dream and a broken heart. And if you're experiencing that devastating pain today, know that God heals relationships. He wants to heal your wounded heart. Then I believe the greatest miracle is spiritual healing. Spiritual healing. Because spiritual sickness causes us to be separated from a holy and perfect God. And many of the hurts we have in our lives will we bring on ourselves through sins, mistakes, and failures. But if we admit, the good news is if we admit that we need spiritual healing, then God will heal us. Listen to what he says in Psalm 51 verse 17. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to ask Hunter to come up. I'm going to ask Onewa and Xavier to come on up. Just stand right over here by the keyboard. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just want you to listen to this. When we're proud, God can't use us. When we're broken, God can bless us. When we're humble and transparent, God can fill us with his strength and use us. And if you're hurting today, God says, at the moment, right now, I will meet you right where you're at. Just bring me your broken heart. Because see, remember, God always starts with the miracle that you need the most. don't wait till you feel the full weight of your problem to go to Christ and request the miracle you need but right now right now say Jesus the miracle I need most is a relationship with you maybe for the very first time maybe it's a restored relationship the three people that you'll see baptized at 9 o'clock the four baptized at 11 o'clock that's all they're saying is God I need you to go through with me through my death valley. Lord, I'll depend on you. And Lord, even though I don't get it all, I don't understand it all, I ask you to come into my heart, come into my life. And if you're praying that prayer right now from your heart, then I want you to know at that moment, you're saved. And if you were to die in the next minute, you would be with the Father in heaven. That's how much he loves you. That's what water baptism is. It's symbolic of people making that decision to say, yes, Jesus. And if you said, yes, Jesus, fill out that connect card. We want to help you with next steps. Water baptism, growth track 101 next week. We help you establish a foundation. Then I want to encourage you after the baptisms, don't run off, but press through the crowd. We have people up here at the altar to pray for you. And believe for your miracle. In Jesus' name. Give those people a great big hand clap that said, Yes, Jesus.
1: I don't walk alone When my thoughts inside recap I hear your still, small voice You are my constant
0: can be rich, but if you're without